This morning, I've entitled my message as Can a Christian Practice Yoga? Now, some of you may say, hey, that's enough. You know, what shall you say? A rhetoric answer. The answer is no. No, you don't practice it. But a lot of other people today also who have questions about it. When the world says we all do it, what's wrong? And in the Western world today, there are people who do what is called as Christian yoga. You have yoga in the churches, you have yoga in the YMCA's. And individuals say, I just chant Jesus, you know, isn't that okay? And those type of questions are being raised today. When the International Yoga Day has been you know, set up, if you notice the Muslim community had questions about it and said, why should they not celebrate it? But unfortunately, there was not much of a response from the Christian community which said, why should we not celebrate it? Was it understood that as Christians it is perfectly okay to celebrate it? That's a question we must ask ourselves this morning. So my outline of my message this morning is not going to be a study on yoga, but it's going to be on what the Bible tells us about it and why we should not practice it. And if in case some people say, oh, we have some good benefits out of it, you know, there are benefits from also studying the scriptures and how we can apply the scriptures into our lives and meditate on God's word so that God's word which has been given to us, we will be able to study it and grow in our walk with the Lord. So, as a preliminary introduction, let's look at first of all the Webster's Dictionary meaning for the word yoga. Yoga, according to the Webster's Dictionary, is a Hindu theistic philosophy teaching the suppression of all activity of body, mind and will in order that the self may realize its distinction from them and attain liberation. This is the Webster's Dictionary meaning. Just taking it at this meaning itself should give you questions in your mind. Is it okay for a Christian to practice yoga? It says it's a Hindu theistic philosophy. It speaks about leading on into liberation. It is not just an exercise. So if in case doctors will suggest to you if you have an orthopedic problem, hey, yoga is good for you. Now, this is not what, this, you know, what the definition of yoga is. Yoga is not just a physical exercise. It is a pathway to God. It's a pathway to liberation based on Hindu philosophy. And in order to help us to understand this a little more, Y-O-G-A, each one has a particular aspect. By the way, the word yoga comes from the Sanskrit word yuga, which means a yoke or a union. A yoke or a union. And when the Bible very clearly tells us, be not unequally yoked, okay? Be not unequally yoked. When the word yoga itself means a union, a yoking with something that is not biblical, it should send warning signals into our minds which says, hey, that's something I must not really get myself involved in. In the passage that was read to us a little while ago, Paul in the letter to the Romans says, 
I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. It is the gospel that transforms us. It is the gospel that grants us peace and inner peace. It is the gospel that makes us new. It is not yoga. And when the scripture tells us, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And if a Christian today is saying, I am getting inner peace, inner healing, satisfaction through these practices that I am doing, there's a big question mark whether he really believes in the gospel and whether he is you know, ashamed of the gospel and its power that he's willing to look at some other source of power to give him that peace. Now, why stands for this yuga, which comes from the, San the Sanskrit word yuga, which means yoke or union. O stands for what is traditionally started off in the chant, which is Om, which is actually a meaning of God or a symbolic of responding in chanting to God. And the object of all these chantings obviously is always to make sure that your mind is emptied so that it can be filled with any other spirit. And that is the emphasis of the concentrating on a particular mantra so that your mind will all be cleared off, it will be emptied so that something else can get in. <laughs> Rajnish, the Indian guru said, the goal is to create a new man, one who is happily mindless. The goal is to create a new man, one which who is happily mindless. Now, God is not asking us to have a mindless spirituality. God is saying, let a person love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind. It's not a question of emptying your mind so that anything else can get in. G stands for the gurus who teach the yoga. The gurus, and if you notice today's paper speaks about hundreds of Indian yogas, and our, and our gurus have gone all across the world today to teach them yoga. It is the gurus who practice it. It is the gurus who teach it. No person can just pick up any exercise and do it. You need a master. And when the master tells you to do something, you become in bondage to that individual. <coughs> The next letter, A, stands for the word asana, which is basically the exercises. Now, a person may look at only one angle you know, of all these four and say, I don't have any yoking, you know, I'm thinking about Jesus when I'm doing my exercises. Isn't that okay? No, it is not okay. I'm only doing the mantra of Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I'm saying that mantra, is it not okay? No, it is not okay. When the scripture speaks very clearly to have nothing to do with divination, nothing to do with sorcery, nothing to do with the demonic, not to be yoked with anything else that is not from God. If a Christian knowingly or unknowingly opens, him up to, opens himself or herself up, to these other sources, it is very, very dangerous. So having given that as a definition of yoga, 
let's move on further and find out what is the aim of yoga according to these yogic gurus. And BK's Iyengar is well known as a, you know, as a guru of yoga. He says, according to the yoga sutras of Patanjali, the ultimate aim of yoga is to reach ultimate freedom, is to reach ultimate freedom. Freedom from yourself and recognizing that you are really God. That is the ultimate freedom. That's the aim of yoga. And these are the different steps. Okay? There are eight steps that are mentioned. The final one which is samadhi, which is the linking up yourself with God and recognizing that you are divine. The exercises come only halfway in that mark. And it's all leading up to that. You cannot take one out of the other. But this is where the problem comes in when a person says, no, no, I don't believe in all that. You know? They may say it is like that, but I take up only these exercises and I do it. Isn't it okay? Is yoga merely physical exercises? Let's look at what some of the individuals are saying about this. These are people who are practicing yoga from the Hindu faith. These are their statements. He says, Swami Vivekananda, one who said the Christians have committed the greatest sin by calling man a sinner because Hinduism does not believe in sin. Hinduism believes that man is essentially divine and yoga is basically recognizing the divinity that is there in you. And Swami Vivekananda says, a series of exercises physical and mental is to be gone through every day until certain higher states are reached. The purpose of these exercises is so that higher states are reached, nerve currents will have to be dispatched and given a new channel, new sorts of vibrations will begin and the whole constitution will be remodeled as it were. These exercises are not exercises in themselves, but they are all leading up to a new change. And if that is what they are saying, and if we say it's only exercises, we are definitely wrong. Look at what the next person says. You know, Swami Param of the Dharma Yoga Ashram in New Jersey says, to think of asanas or the physical exercises as mere body positions or stretching exercises is analogous to believing that baptism is just an underwater exercise. This is what they are saying, okay? They say, hey, this is not it. You know, this is not just physical exercise, just as much as we speak about baptism. It is not just going underwater and coming out. There's a spiritual significance to it. And these guys are saying, if a person thinks it is just exercises, it is definitely wrong. Look at the next statement. Now, Professor Subhash Tiwari of the Hindu University of America. He says, efforts to separate yoga from its spiritual center reveal ignorance of the goal of yoga. There is definitely a link up. And no matter how much today on the International Yoga Day, people will say, hey, it is for all religions. You know, True yoga is speaking about a link. Look at the next statement. You know. Sanyasin Armoga Swami, managing editor of the Hindu, Hinduism today says, Hinduism is the soul of yoga 
based as it is from Hindu scriptures and developed by Hindu sages. Yoga opens up new and more refined states of mind and to understand that one needs to believe in and understand the Hindu way of looking at God. A Christian trying to adapt these practices will likely disrupt their own Christian beliefs. This is what they are mentioning. They know what is what. The next statement in an article entitled An Open Letter to Evangelicals from the January 1991 issue of Hinduism Today, Swami Siva Siva Pulani writes, A small army of yoga missionaries, Hatha, Raja, Siddha and Kundalini, beautifully trained in the last 10 years, is about to set upon the Western world. They may not call themselves Hindu, but Hindus know where yoga comes from and where it goes. This is their plan and strategy. Missionaries being sent out on the name of yoga, but in the background is the Hindu philosophy. And he goes on to write the same person. He says, we hope this process useful to you. I close with a quote from Swami Vivekananda, Hinduism's greatest modern missionary. When he spoke of in January 1895 in Chicago in the World in a Conference on Religions, he says, what I now want is a band of fiery missionaries. It's a hundred years late, but it appears he's going to get what he wants. And when he spoke of more than a hundred years ago, speaking of, about yoga in the International Conference on in a Religion in Chicago, when he said, this is my desire, more than a hundred years later, it's become a reality, if you were to say, when the United Nations has set upon this day as an International Yoga Day. And Raju Malhotra, a Hindu scholar, says, you know, the assumption and consequences of yoga do run counter to much of Christianity as understood today. And that is why, as a Hindu yoga practitioner, he says, I wholly agree with the Southern Baptist Seminary President Albert Mola when he speaks of the incompatibility between Christianity and yoga. Here is a Hindu scholar agreeing with a Christian seminary president when he says, and when he made this statement, Albert Mola made this statement in the US, there was a lot of backlash. People said, how can he say that it is incompatible? But here's a Hindu scholar agreeing with him and saying, yes, this is really true. So is yoga merely physical exercises? Not really so. The next slide. Let's look at you know, how the teachings of yoga and the Bible are contrary. If we have understood this so much, that yoga is basically one of the pathways to reach up to God. I hope those of you who are familiar with some element of Hinduism would understand that this is one of the margas or pathways of salvation. You have the Jnana Marga, you have the Karma Marga, you have the Bhakti Marga, and there's the Yoga Marga. And this is one of the pathways to lead to God. So if a person says this is just a physical exercise, it is not really true. And in order to understand this further, and what the Bible really teaches us of how it is different, let's look at five areas on which how what the Bible says is so contrary 
to what yoga would teach. First of all, in the understanding of God, in the understanding of God. From the understanding of the Hinduism, God is an impersonal force. Brahma Rishwara is an impersonal force. And the recognition of the divine in you, nobody is a sinner. We are all gods. And that's where the pantheistic philosophy comes in. There's God in the furniture, there's God in the air, there's God in the animals, there's God everywhere. God is in everything. And as a result, we are all God, so we worship different, different beings. And the ultimate is when we recognize that you yourself are God, and you identify that. And that is one of the pathways here in the Yoga Marga. But what the Bible does teach us, the Bible is very clear that there's nothing like that, isn't it? Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 7 tells us, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Full stop. No other gods. Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 39 tells us, Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. And in Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 17 says, But... If your heart turns away and you are not obedient and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. On one side the scripture is very clear that there is only one God. And the Bible also says you shall not bow down to worship any other God. And all the postures that are spoken of is all postures to the different, different deities whom the Hindus worship. The Bible is very clear. Don't bow down yourself to any other God because there is only one God. And if in case you do bow down, the scripture is also very clear where he says, the Lord says, you will certainly be destroyed. You will certainly be destroyed. The second aspect of prayer. Prayer from the scripture, from the in a biblical angle, is a relationship with God. It's a talking with God. It's knowing Him. Why? Because the biblical understanding of God is that God is a person. He can be related to. The non-Christian understanding, if God is a force, how can you relate to Him? The biblical understanding is that God is a person. As a result, you can pray to Him. You can speak to Him and He speaks back to you. Non-Christian understanding from the yogic angle is the mantras that you will speak of. Repetitive things that you will say. And by so doing it, it is like a catharsis that you yourself psych yourself into and you feel good about it. But that is not prayer. The Bible is very clear about it. Two passages in Exodus chapter 23 and verse 13. Exodus chapter 23 and verse 13 tells us, Do not invoke the names of other gods. Let them not be heard on your lips. Do not invoke the name of other gods. Don't repeat any chant. Don't repeat any mantra. If yoga is saying this is the mantra that you have to say, the scripture is saying don't do it. Matthew's Gospel chapter 6 and verse 7. It says, when you pray, 
Do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard for their many words. And the Greek word from which babbling is derived is also translated as vain repetitions. Vain repetitions. The Bible is very clear. It's not by mantras. This is why just because you say the Lord's Prayer again, 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 or you say the Rosary again and again and again, that is not prayer. Prayer is a communication. You're speaking to God. Why? Because you have a relationship with Him and He can be known. Joshua chapter 23 and verse 7. Joshua 23 and verse 7 says, Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you have to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. Now this is not something new. The Lord is saying when they were taken from the land of Egypt you know, into this other land, the Canaanites around, they had worship of other gods. There was always the danger. There was always the alluring to bow down to those same gods to receive what those gods were giving them. And the Lord was saying, don't do that. Even if you think there are going to be benefits from doing that, he says, don't do it. Because that is something I definitely detest. Thirdly, when it comes to the worship, when it comes to the worship, the whole aspect of yoga worship is the breathing exercises. It is a questioning or question of expelling the bad. It's a question of releasing energies within. It's a question of the different, different chakras that they speak about. Now all that is their worship because that is linked with the demonic. And if you do more reading on it, we'll also be showing some clips to the youth fellowships. You know, when you're looking at the different aspects of it, it is uncoiling the serpent within you. And the highest form of yoga, which is the Kundalini Yoga, is to get your spirit out of your system and to commune with God. That is Samadhi. Dangerous, demonic in its totality. But the Hindus will say that is worship. That is coming into the divineness. But the biblical understanding of worship is definitely, definitely very different. It is not speaking about exercises but it's speaking about a relationship. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. It says, physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So if a person is saying, because I do this exercise, I'm feeling good, the scripture is saying, okay, physical exercises, there is the limit to it. You know? It is good to do physical exercises, not good to do yoga. It is good to do physical exercises, but the important thing is godliness. Because that is not only valuable in this life, but also in the life to come. In Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 30, Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 30, it says, be careful not to be ensnared by inquiring about their gods, about the pagan gods, saying, how do these nations serve their gods? We will also do the same. 
He says, don't be ensnared by that. Don't get into a thinking, hey, they did this and they got this benefit. Let me also try it out. If it works for them, why can't it work for me? The scripture is very clear over there and says, don't do this. And if we turn further to Deuteronomy chapter 13, Deuteronomy chapter 13, there's an interesting section over there from verses 1 to 4. Deuteronomy 13, 1 says, If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a miraculous sign or wonder, and if the sign or wonder of which he has spoken takes place, takes place, here is a false prophet, here is a pagan and a guru coming and performing a miraculous sign. He says, this is what is going to happen and it happens. What do you do then? He says, and then he goes on and says, let us follow other gods, gods you have not known and let us worship them. You must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. Look at the next verse. It says, the Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. It is the Lord your God you must follow and him you must revere. Keep his commandments and obey him. Serve him and hold fast to him. Scripture is so very clear. This is not something new that we are experiencing. Right in that time, when they went into the Canaanites, they had their other God, they had their other worship. And I was curiosity to say, hey, something is working for them. Why can't I also do it? The scripture is very clear. He says, don't do it because that is not from me. Just because it works, that does not necessarily mean it is true and from God. Be careful. The scripture is teaching us in all these verses. <coughs> and 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, The Spirit clearly says that in latter times, that is in these times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. In these last days, the scripture is saying, people will follow after these things. It's a warning for us in our church this morning, that when the world is saying it's all okay, we must be careful because this is not okay as the scripture tells us. The fourth one, why it is very dangerous, it's because all this involves communicating with the spirit world. It all involves communicating with the spirit world. If you notice all these levels that an individual goes through in yoga is finally to open themselves up to the spirit world and the spirit, evil spirits take control do different, different things. And the scripture tells us the angel, you know, Satan is an angel of light. Satan also performs miracles and counterfeit miracles. And as a result, people think that this is what is really spiritual. Communicating with the spirits is definitely forbidden in scripture. The Bible very clearly tells us in Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 26, do not practice divination, or sorcery. Do not practice divination or sorcery. And Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 31 it says, Do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists, for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. 
there are plenty of other passages in scripture which speak about the link up that we should not have with the spirit world and when the bible very clearly teaches us don't do this if a christian knowingly says hey, it's perfectly okay it is very dangerous a couple of years back when i was in the states you know a person who was the secretary of you know another pastor of the church came to meet me at the airport and take me to the place where i was supposed to be and then she asked me a question very casually what do you think about yoga coming from india and i very clearly mentioned to her that yoga was definitely something hindu and a person should stay far away from it her face changed a little i do not know why talk went on a little further and then i asked her what do you do you know and she told me i run a yoga studio and when i interacted more with the church i found out different problems that they were having as well okay the people who were opposing it and the last time when i went i also heard about suicides that had taken place in that church you know dangerous thing things to dabble with the spirit world and think that nothing will happen to you it is just physical exercises not at all it is dangerous when you are getting into the spirit world fifthly what is the purpose of yoga the purpose of yoga is to become one with god what is the purpose of christianity we are not speaking about becoming one with god we are speaking about becoming children of god because we realize that the difference between god and us hinduism speaks about we are all the same we are all one together and we are speak they are speaking about identifying your godhead in you how far the mood is it from what the bible is really telling us in romans chapter 10 and verse 9 the bible tells us clearly if you confess with your mouth jesus is lord and believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead then you will be saved a person is doing yoga is not confessing with their mouth jesus is lord they chanting some other mantras they are not believing in their heart that jesus is raised from the dead and that's the only way to god they're thinking that this would also reach them somehow into some bliss that they are looking for if you are dissatisfied with christianity you will definitely run to all that the world is offering you maybe you know people who are looking at pleasures will run to pleasures people looking for money will run to money people are looking for power will run to power and people are looking for good health you know and a feeling of wellness may run to some of these new age gurus that are coming today offering them that when jesus himself has become the perfect sacrifice for us and given us all that we need to get into a relationship with him and when the bible very clearly tells us don't get involved it is dangerous if you notice in genesis chapter 2 and verse 18 the lord god commanded the man you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for the day that you shall eat of this tree of the fruit of this tree you will die what did satan come around and say you shall not surely die and the bible is very clear and says don't get involved with these things you will die what do people come around and say you won't surely die after all it's just a few exercises it's good for your body you, know, you won't surely die and that is how it has started from time you know right from the beginning and satan continues to do those same things even today and the church is called upon 
even in this 21st century, to take a stand. Now, you may say, how can I be protected? How can I make sure that my mind is controlled by God? How can I make sure that what the world is saying is trying to, the world is trying to squeeze me into its mold? How can I make sure that I stay on track? And the scriptural pattern is meditation on God's word. Meditation on God's word. And learning to meditate on God's word you know, is much, much better and beneficial for you than practicing yoga. Learn to meditate. Because yoga is speaking about mantra, speaking about meditation, the wrong one to the right one, which is a meditation on God's word. And there are six Ds to remember in the meditation. The first one is design. The first D stands for design. Design scripture meditation into your life. In other words, make it a part of your daily schedule. Program it into your system with different apps that are available today, you know, make sure that you have a package which will be included into your daily schedule. Design it that God's word will come into you every day. Make time for it and schedule it as a priority. Genesis chapter 24 and verse 63. Genesis 24 and verse 63 says, And Isaac went out to meditate in the field at the even time and he lifted up his eyes and he saw this happening. This was his regular schedule just in the Old Testament, in the New Testament as well. Jesus himself went in the early hours of the morning to spend time meditating. Schedule it, design it into your system. Make it a habit, something that you do daily. Psalm 1 and verse 2 tells us his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law does he meditate day and night. Schedule it, design it into your system. Luke's Gospel chapter 2 and verse 19. Luke 2 19 tells us but Mary kept all these things in her heart and pondered upon it, pondered upon it, meditated on it. So that's the first D, design it into your system. If in case you don't have this as a regular habit, maybe you are very good in going to the gym and having the exercise. Maybe you are very good in going to the yoga classes for your exercises, but you have not scheduled this daily important thing of meditating on God's word. This has much more beneficial value than anything that the world can offer. Design it, program it into your system. Put some reminders, if you were to say, on your mobiles, you know, on your emails, so that you will be reminded that you have to do this. That's the first D. Second D is discover. Discover by reading or remembering a scripture. Discover by reading or remembering what you have designed in that morning. What you have programmed into your system to say, this is the passage I am reading it. Okay, once you have read it, discover something from it. Think through. Now meditate on it. The scripture tells us in Psalm 103, 104 and verse 34. Psalm 104, 34. My meditation of him shall be sweet. 
I will be glad in the Lord. What are you going to meditate on him? My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. Focus your attention on God. Discover new truths from the word which will motivate you to say, Lord, I thank you for who you really are. Psalm 77 and verse 12. Psalm 77 and verse 12 says, I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of all thy doings. Discover who God is. There's so much we need to know and discover what he is doing even in your life and spend time giving thanks to God for that. Your mind will become clearer. Your mind will become focused. Your mind will take off when as a result of the clutter of this world where the world is saying, hey, this is right, this is right, this is right. The more you are filling your minds with who God is and what he has done, what that he is doing, our focus will get to him. And also Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Think on these things. You can also choose a truth that means a lot to you. You can speak maybe or think about how God has saved you. Look back on that day when Jesus became real to you, when you had an encounter with Christ, when your sins were washed away. Or like Christian, you'd be able to say, my burden of sin was rolled away. Look back on that day constantly and give thanks to God and say, Lord, if it were not for your grace, where would I be today? Meditate on what God has done for you. Meditate on who he is and what he's continuing to do in your life. Also, you can choose a scripture that means something to you. What's your favorite verse? Think on those verses. Remind yourselves that to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or maybe you're saying, I'm confident that he has started the work. He is the one who is going to finish it. Or maybe you're saying, I will never leave you, not forsake you. That's what the Lord says. You're holding on to that verse. Discover all these aspects of who God is. Focus your eyes on him. Thirdly, the details. The details. The third D stands for you know, the details. Note down some of these verses. Maybe in the morning you are reading a passage of scripture. One verse is very important to you. Pick out that verse. Note it down. Write it down. Memorize that verse. Think about that verse during the day. Or even to take up scripture memory packages itself. So that you can start memorizing scripture. Keep it with you. And when you go on the trains, you find people opening up their little prayer books and reading all their mantras, isn't it? You know? They are doing so disciplined manner. What about Christians? Do we also focus on memorizing scripture, making it a part of our lives? Fourthly, digest, process what God is saying. Process through in your mind. What is God telling me through this particular verse? Rewrite that verse maybe in your own words. How is that verse is becoming relevant for you today? Make God's word a part of your everyday life. 
let the Bible not be a book that has been written that you read in the morning or in the evening and that's it. But let the Bible become very much a part of your life. That is what you know, this whole process is all about. And we need to, fifth D is delight. Delight. Delight in doing these things. You know? Don't think of all these, oh, it's a big chore now. I came for the Sunday service this morning. I realized, yes, you know, yoga is not right for me. But now I got you know, stuck with you know, all these things that I have to do. No, do it out of a sense of delight. When you know how much God has done for us, when you think of how much God has loved us, as J.B. Phillips' translation of Romans 12.1 will say, is this too much to ask to give yourself as a living sacrifice? Is this too much to focus on God's word, meditate on it day and night, let it become a part of you? And as it becomes a part of you, the sixth D says, do it again, do it again. Keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. Because that will become inside of us a strong buffer to process all the shifts that are happening in the world today. Shifts in theology that is happening in the world today. When we are knowing what God's word says, the original, no matter whatever the world around is saying, hey, this is good, this is good, try this, try that, try that. You and I will be filled with God's word in our hearts and minds. And as a result, we would be focused on the right track. Finally, let me close with what will happen to us if we develop this habit of scripture meditation. Three things. Number one, your mind will get changed. It will get fixed. Your mind will get changed. It will get fixed. When the world is trying to brainwash you into thinking the way the world thinks, you notice today, if you read the papers, it is full of all these things, you know. World is trying to say, this is it, this is it, this is it. But as we feed our minds on what God's word is saying, our mind will change and it will get fixed. Otherwise, we are going to absorb all that the world is saying. Secondly, your heart will calm down and it will get fixed. If you are looking for peace, if your person is saying, in order to have peace, I do these you know, exercises, I do these you know, things. You know, you're looking for that inner peace. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. As we focus our mind on who God is, focus our mind on God's word, that peace will come into us. We will calm down. And thirdly, our lives will experience growth once again growth once again just as it happened when we first came to know the lord the excitement that we had to read his word study his word live by the truths of his word the more we bring back god's word into the first place in our lives i believe growth will come back once again may i challenge you this morning as you go back you know yes read what the papers are saying but read what the bible is saying about what God is really all about. And begin to design your life in a way that you put God's word on top priority so that your minds will be filled with what God is saying so that whatever the world is trying to say to push it in, it would not get an entry. Shall we bow our heads in a word of prayer together?